Oh, you're unstoppable. Oh, that's what you are. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. Oh, that's what you are. Oh, you are God alone. And before time begins, you are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and the bad, you are on your throne. Oh, and right now, in the good times and the bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. Amen. Let's bow our heads and speak to him. Precious, wonderful Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we adore you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We consider it such a wonderful purpose of our life to be able to come in here and stand shoulder and shoulder with saints of such like precious faith, Lord. To be in this greatest battle that ever been fought, Lord, with sold out Holy Ghost filled believers that are so in love with you, Lord, that it's beginning to get where they can't tell where they stop and you begin. Lord, we appreciate your mercy so much, Lord. How great you are. Yes, Lord, the battle's hot, but you keep lifting a standard. You are still God and you still keep your word. Lord, we thank you for that tonight. Otherwise, we'd be washed away with a wave of depression or a wave of discouragement. or Maybe our hearts would fail for fear, Lord, but... We keep seeing you standing here, still being God, still being mighty, still keeping your word and vindicating your promise. Lord, how we trust you tonight. I pray, Lord, as we change this order of the service from our worship of your great and mighty name and your person, Lord, to the ministry of your word, how great your word is, Lord. And we'll take a small portion of it tonight and read it to the ears and the hearts of your believers, Lord. This, the same word that's very, very similar in makeup and style and creation to when you said, let there be. When you said that it breaks the captives out, that it sets the prisoner free. That same word, Lord, we, we're going to preach that tonight, Lord, in your name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we believe here tonight, we testify, we profess, we, we exclaim with all that's within us that you're a living God, that you're still the consuming fire, Lord, and, and we come here tonight with great expectation in our heart, believing that you still meet every need, that you still draw us close to you and help us to die out to ourselves and make us more like you. Lord, bless our brothers and sisters tonight as we sit here, as we stand here, as we hear your word, Lord. Bless all those that would watch the recording, Father. And I pray that you would minister to their needs tonight, that you would build up their heart, draw them closer and closer, Lord. With every beat of our heart, Lord, every bit of your word that we hear, draw us closer, Lord. And every test and every trial and every fire that we go through, draw us closer, Lord. We want more of you, Father. We sang earlier that you're all that we need. 
This is nothing but the truth, Lord. You're all that we need. Seek us first, the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto thee. Lord, we love you so much. Appreciate you so much, Father. Help us now, Lord. I surrender all that I am to you. I ask, Lord, that you would take complete control. Lord, and speak to our hearts tonight. Push back any foul spirit, Lord, any unclean thing that would try to hinder, that would try to distract, Lord God, that would try to make us sleepy or discouraged or depressed. And Lord, let your spirit of truth reign supreme in this room here tonight. We adore you. We love you. We thank you in your precious and holy, lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 God bless you tonight. God bless you. While you're standing, if you would, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Do you love the Lord? Are you staying valiant and vigilant in your fight against the enemy? That was not quite as wholeheartedly as I wanted. But to God be the praise. I'm actually thankful that he knows our weakness. He knows the things we struggle with. He knows, thank you, Joseph. He knows all the things that, that like knock the wind out of us sometimes. I feel like sometimes you get just punched in the throat. But God knows, and I thank him for being there with us every step. I have found him to be so gracious. I found him to be so kind and so sweet. And I love him so much for that tonight. While you're standing, let's just read that there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Our title would be Examine Yourself. Examine Yourself. As we were preaching on Sunday about that spirit of fear and and, and what the devil will use to grip you and all the, the different twisting of the word and, and everything that Satan has had, as our prophet would say, marvelous success in the last 2,000 years to tear down the value, the truth, the consistency, the, the, the life and the full effect of God's word that the prophet said Satan's had marvelous success. And we touched on a few things on Sunday, right where it seems like he started. And, and the prophet again would tell us that the unbelief means to miss the mark. If, if, if you've got a target standing right here with a bullseye and, and from back there you shoot an arrow and you're aiming at the target and you miss or with a, a gun, even say a gun would be more accurate, something with a long range and, and you miss the target by, and you just barely miss it by just a little bit. Just a little bit, you know that it doesn't just stop right there and wait to be put back to center. It keeps going and going and going and going further and further and further away from the truth. See, this is a very simple way to say it. Very simple way to say it. But this is why Satan's had marvelous success. He is so watered down and even that Paul would say that they made the word of God none effect unto you. This is where he's had marvelous success. He started right there in Genesis with Eve, and he, he went after her, and all he did was added one word, one three-letter word, one three-letter word, and it brought death to the entire human race. One three-letter word brought every bit of sickness and sorrow and heartache and discouragement and depression off of letting go one three-letter word. There's so much of God's word. There's so much to God's word. 
And the more and more you get closer to him, the more of him you see in every page, in every facet, as you move backwards and forwards, Old Testament, New Testament, and you just you see the goodness and the glory of God. And if you can get if you can get your own thinking out of the way and get your own ideas out of the way and things that you've assumed for so many years. Me and Bethany were talking about that before church. I've had things in my life that, that I was told that wasn't true about somebody and, and it tore down uh, my confidence in them. And then when I finally met them, I was so surprised they didn't meet what my confidence said that they were. And that was such a pleasant, wonderful thing. And you start to go back and look at, well, what else did I have wrong? Where else was I? Where else was I? misaligned in, 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 in my uh, you know, accepting of something, of what God would have. And, and, and each one of us are guilty. Am I, the, I, am I the only one? I don't put my hands up. You stone just me. But each one of us are guilty. And, and that's why the Bible says examine yourselves. And we, I think we read that on Sunday. Examine yourself to see whether or not you even be in the faith. Last Wednesday night we preached the sermon, Are You a Believer? Are you a believer? And I was listening to adoption number three a lot lately. And, and I keep, as I listen so far and I have to leave that to go do something else when I'm driving or in the, at night before I go to sleep or something like that, I, I keep coming to one particular part that Brother Ram was talking about how you've, you've all met these people. And you might have been this way before that if, that if, if someone would have told you, Brother, I, I'm Baptist to the core. Well, Sister Vanessa, would you have said that 20 years ago? I'm Baptist to the core. Other myself would have said, I'm Methodist to the core. I'm Lutheran to the core, through and through, through and through. And, and Brother Brown makes a statement, I want to be God to the core. I want to be the Lord Jesus Christ to the core. And, and I, I want him to have such preeminence in my life that when I read his word, I'm not looking at it through someone else's assumptions or ideas or, you know, so many people, and, and I say this all the time, there's been a lot of people that have handled this book before you and I were born. There's been a lot of people that have walked right up to these same promises, these same truths, these same guarantees that God has given to a believer way before we were ever born. And a lot of them have walked away empty-handed because they missed that one key crucial element, are you a believer? How many times did Jesus say, why are you so weak in faith? Why would you doubt? And it's just that simply. And, and Paul would tell us that faith is a substance. You know, the substance can be added to a substance can be added to. Peter would say this in your statue of a perfect man. He said, now add to, add to this, add to this, add to this. If we were to jump back in Joshua 1, and he's telling Joshua, he said, if you'll fail not to follow every statute and commandment, and it's not about the tradition of the law, it's about the pattern of God, the way to get things moving, the way that, to get God to answer your request. And the biggest thing is, have you examined your heart? Have you examined your life? Have you said, God, search me? Search my heart over, Lord. I've got something that I need. I've got something I'm praying about. I've got something I've come up to, and I'm not getting, I'm not getting the traction. I'm not getting the movement. I'm not seeing things just move out of the way like your word says so plainly. So, Lord, let me stop everything, and let me look my life back over. Let me look my heart back over. Have I said something, Lord, that displeased you? Have I thought something, Lord, that displeased you? Have I got something hidden somewhere in here, God, that does not please your precious, sweet Holy Spirit, Lord? Bring it to my attention. Bring it to my eyes, Lord, so I can lay it upon your altar and you can burn it out of me. We, we say this all the time. Not one person in this room is perfect. 
Not one perfect person, not one person in this room tonight is perfect, but each one of us are wholly clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ with all that's within us because we see our weakness. We see the things we struggle with. We see the things that we just fall flat on our face on it. But at the same time, if you're looking, you see him standing there as sweet, gentle, humble as can be to pick you back up. He puts his arm around you. I was listening to a message the other day, but Ram talked about, he said, when, when a, a dad is teaching his children or parents are teaching children how to walk, he said, if your toddler walks off down through there and the toddler falls down, ain't no dad, ain't no good dad going to pick him up and spank your child for falling down. They're just learning to walk. What you do is you come alongside them and you pick them up, you dust them off and you pull them up close to your side and try it this way. Try walking this way. Try walking this way. But the prophet would tell us in the message, Christ, the mystery of God, revealed that that God loves fatherhood because God's a father. He loves it. He loves fatherhood. So when he sees a dad and just starts to express and emanate and portray those expressions, those attributes of a godly father, can you imagine how that makes him smile? It makes him so happy to step back. And, and, and you understand that the one thing that Satan has used to tear this country apart is he tore families apart. He tore husbands and wives apart. apart. He tore daddies and mamas apart. He he so attacked them in a certain way. And and it wasn't just a straight-on bulldozer approach. approach. He would go after the husbands separately. He'd go after the wives separately. You understand why daytime soap operas were invented. You understand why women's clothes have shrunk to a certain way to catch a man's eye, to catch a woman's eye. The the prophet would tell you about, you see a woman that that, has all day long, she's at home all day long, at home all day long, but she decides somewhere between three to six o'clock to go mow her grass in short, short and short shirts and short shirt. What a coincidence! Uh, the hottest part of the day, and 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 we, me and the boys, were some the other day, and I, and I see a girl that was dressed a certain way, and it kind of struck me. She had no idea this morning when she got up that the devil was going to use her to try to send men's souls to hell. She had no idea. She thought, this is just what I do. This is how I dress. This is the way I go. Had no clue that what the devil had put on her heart and her mind to dress, that she'd be out trying to send men's souls to hell. So he attacked him that way. He went after a woman. You have a man that's trying to work. If you've actually got a good man that, that tries to get up and go to work, and, and the prophet would cover this in many different ways when a, when a young woman's looking for a mate, that she'll say, well, this guy's real pretty, or this guy smells real good, or have you seen his car, or have you seen the muscles, and all those things. And the prophet would tell you, don't look at those things. Never, 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 never look at those things. You look at the godly character in a man. You look to see if he's a man. Not just a human, but a man. See, anybody can say, anyone can be six foot five, big muscles, all those things, and, and not be a man. A man will stand on God's word no matter what. He'll stand on God's word no matter who walks away. He'll stand on God's word no matter who breaks his heart. He'll stand on God's word and comes back and anchors everything right to that word of God because he's learned in his heart that everything else will pass away. But the only way I survive this human experience is by laying all of my life in that word. It's the only way I get through this. Otherwise, I'll put a gun in my mouth someday because the pressure is too much. If you look at this world and all the stress that comes with you, that seems like it's one of the greatest, most powerful things out there. Well, just end it. Just end it. But there's more to life. Then you have the other opposite of that way. The people are talking about, well, you know, just, just kind of you know, cross your fingers and sit back in the corner and wait for the rapture. That ain't it either. You've got a purpose. A man's going to get up and go to work. A man's going to get up and go to work. 
So the Bible says that if a man doesn't work, the man doesn't eat. Now, this goes the same thing for a man or a woman. A woman's got to work, too, and a man's got to work, and it goes hand in hand. It can't just be that she sits on the couch, and he goes to work, and he comes home, and he's, of course, tired from the day, and she starts on all these different things. She's got to be working, too. The Bible covers every facet of all these things. But then you look at Satan attacking those. If a woman had been at home that day and <clears throat> perhaps seen this guy running by and jogging shorts and all well-built, and her husband comes home just tired from working trying to provide a living and and you know she's watched these other things and this guy's a casanova and he he speaks real good and and real sweet and and smells nice and the prettiest fabio hair and and all those things and looks at her husband who's just worked 12 hours and wore out and can't barely stand up and think man i sure wish he looked more like that you see satan where satan attacked it sound familiar it sounds familiar you got it both sides of the corn. But you, you know what the enemy wants. So as we stand here, most of us are, let's see, born in 1980. It would have started in back in the 20s. So you're looking at least 60 years into it before I ever hit this world, before that those things had started getting slowly working out. So we've kind of been born right in the full out midst of it. So if I had to look back at the 60 years before and say, well, I guess that's what a man is, I wouldn't be standing here right now. If you were that way, you wouldn't be sitting here right now like, no, that ain't, that ain't a man and that ain't nothing like I want to be. See, that seed of God in your heart, male or female, it says, I want to serve the Lord. I want to live for the Lord. And, and I know that his word is true, that if I do those things, he will add these other things unto me. That I've shared that with you about John Sherritt's testimony. Brother Ram told that. He said that as a young man that he stuttered really, really bad. And he just stuttered and stuttered and stuttered. And he said he told all of his buddies were out, you know, going out courting and taking these pretty girls out, all those things. And he's like, Lord, I, I, I got no business even talking to a girl. I can't even form, formulate sentences and, and things like that. He said, God, he said, if you want me to have a wife, you just have to bring her to me. And the prophet said, he said, God, give him a real good wife. It loves him and is there for him. So seek you first the kingdom of God. Let the Lord direct and lead and guide, and you'll never fail. You'll never fall down. And again, this seems just the simplest way to say it as can be, and I pray that's the truth. I, I pray I could probably get a little simpler. I know that times I get to preaching things, and I do tend to talk fast and get real excited, and, and sometimes you might not even understand or wonder what I'm talking about just because I get all zealous and excited about things. But, but I pray tonight the Lord help me go through real slow with this. If you were to look at your life and look at your heart, honestly, honestly look at your heart. And I've, and I've said that many times before about other people that maybe you're praying for, other people that's on your heart that you've got a burden for and you're thinking about. And those person, if they were to, you know, just in, in their boastfulness, in their pride, they would say, I'm okay. Everything's all good. I'm, I'm exactly where I need to be. I'm just doing, I'm as right as rain. But if they'd be really honest and they would search their heart, they would tell you there's a hole there. Now, you're not in your head because you've seen this in a practical application. People that in, in your church world that's been going to church every service, they've been going there for years and years as faithful members that have been told that this is the way you go, this is what you believe, and this is how you die and all those things. And, and yet they would still tell you that I've I got a hole. I got a hole. We sang that song earlier, You're on Your Throne. Now, in our day, that means something a lot more wonderful than it meant a hundred years ago because he has come down 
and your heart has been made his very throne. And it's not about being a Baptist, about being Methodist, Catholic. I've got some wonderful friends that are Catholic. I've got some amazing friends that are Baptist, and I love them. They, they will tell you they, that I love them because they know I love them. And I don't ever mean to be disrespectful to what they believe, any of those things. And, and I even tighten that up a little bit closer to our day to a message believer because I know message believers that believe that William Branham was a prophet. They believe he's that seventh angel messenger, but they still don't know Christ. They've come to something, and they go to a church, and someone have sat there 30 to 40 years, and they still don't know Christ. And, and Paul would say that it would be unto Christ, you know, towards you, into your life, getting into him, your life being surrendered and submitted to God to where that it's not even just that you're a Christian. It's not even just that you're the generic base level way of measuring as a Christian, but that you were sold out love slave to him. God to the core, not just up here. Oh, I believe God sent a prophet. I believe the seals are open. I believe not just here, but right here. And, and there's so many complexes that I myself have had over the years, and I've shared some of those things with you, being raised in the message and, and a lot of things that I've learned ever since a young boy. And, and there's a several, it's probably several things I've had wrong, but as far as the bulk mass of it, this is what I've learned was the message and what God had for our day. But like I've shared with you many times, for the longest time, it was right here and didn't sink down about 16 to 18 inches. And it did me no good and it did you no good. I'll say it again. It did me no good. It did you no good. But when it slipped down right here, it it, it puts it into a practical application. And and, and that's what I'm after right there. I'm after a practical application. I don't care what you believe. If it can't be used in your daily life, it is useless. It is useless. Christ has not come that just to say, oh, this or oh, this or this. No, it's a very specific purpose. It's here to do something along the lines of making his wife ready. Preparing for himself a bride without spot, blemish, wrinkle, or any such thing. These kinds of things. Now, you can't say those things and say, yes, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that, and still be sitting here tonight with a hole in your heart. You can't. Something's not been made real. But once it's been made real, everything's different. Everything has changed. You're no longer just a church member. Like I said, you're a love slave. I, I love the way that Paul would open the book, to, the letter to Philemon. He said, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, just sold out. All my wants, all my ideas, all my thoughts, and, and I don't know what God let us get to tonight. I've got a lot of things in my heart, but, but if you had time to jump over to Acts chapter 8, and it starts out just after the death of Stephen, and, and Paul had such a zeal, a, a zeal, a, such a fervor for the law and the traditions of his fathers, and that's how he testifies. I had such a zealous fervor for the traditions of my fathers, not the word of God, but the traditions of my fathers that saw in chapter um, Acts chapter 8, that it says Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death, and he's going out breathing all these, uh, the, it's just fury, and just trying to kill all the Christians of the day. But it's sitting there with a, a, a knowledge of the truth, but no revelation of the life. And, and it's interesting that as people casually read the Bible, they would tell you along these lines that Paul never saw Jesus Christ. They would tell you that he never saw Jesus Christ. Oh, no, no, he never saw him, never saw him. And, and so that's never true. Paul said that after the resurrection, that he was seen of the 11, and afterwards he was seen by me. 
Sound familiar? You believe Paul was a liar? Paul told the truth. He said, I saw him on the road to Damascus. Paul was a devout Jew. Paul was a student of Gamaliel. Paul was very, very studious of the word. And he's reading what it says, reading what it says. And I guarantee if you'd ask him then, does it work? Not really, but I believe what it says. And then one day he actually meets the author of the book. And God asked him, and I'll say God like that loosely because we'll tighten it up in just a minute. God asked him out of the pillar of fire, Saul, why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you doing that? And, and so if you pause on that a minute to look at all of Saul's life, God wanted him. All of Saul's life, God wanted him to be a believer. All of Saul's life, God wanted him to be a prophet, to preach the word of God. Not just preach it, but display it in the manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Not just stand there and with great enticing words, Isaiah said this, Zephaniah said this, Zechariah, Habakkuk, Hosea, Deuteronomy. Not like that because Paul could. He wouldn't want that. He wanted to express to you the life of Jesus Christ and show you what the gospel really is. It's Christ himself. That's what God always wanted for him. And so there, as you have that heart of the Father, there in the pillar of the fire, standing there and saying, why are you kicking against the pricks, Paul? Why are you doing that? Just stop. And it was done in such a way that Saul said, Lord, who are you? Who are you, Lord? Because he could trace back to Exodus when that pillar of fire come down and kept the, the, the Pharaoh's army away while the children of Israel escaped on dry ground. He recognized it all the way back there to the same one that Moses said, I saw him in a pillar of, uh, in that, that burning bush and saw it burning and wouldn't consume. And he said, Lord, who are you? And in Acts, he says one thing, but in, in Acts uh, 9, he says one thing, but I think it's Acts when he's telling Felix, he said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Just like that, his life changed. That truth slipped in. He'd been presuming. He'd been assuming. And again, I love simplicity. I like coincidences. I like to wink at coincidences. You think about in your mind, and most of us have heard a lot of Brother Branham's messages over the years. How many times can you hear him saying you know, about what the word presuming means? It means to venture without authority. You're assuming that it says this. You're assuming that he means this. But in reality, it doesn't mean that. Assuming, venturing without authority. And so Paul is out there. He's venturing without authority, going to put these Christians to death because they are not doing what the traditions of our fathers said. So they all must die. They all must go on the ground. I'm going to bring them back as captive and slaves to the, to the Sanhedrin. And we'll clear this thing right up. And then he meets the author himself. The author himself. Who are you? Well, the last time I was in flesh, they called me Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like... That's the guy I've been out to kill. Imagine how bad he felt that day. And I, I don't put it past my Lord to let him feel bad like that. He had a lot of things he had to account for. Now the Bible says God is not mocked that which you sow you'll reap. I don't care how redeemed you are. I've had things come back on me that I sold years and years and years ago, and I've had to pay for. But I say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because the Bible says he don't chasten someone else's kids. Chasing for the moment might seem grievous, but it tells me I'm his. 
And I thank him for that. There's things that I, I did not ever think that it would come back in a certain way. But I, even in the whooping, I say thank you, Lord. I appreciate your mercy. Because, again, that confirms once again he won't spank someone else's kids. So I thank, I thank God for that. You know, Peter said, you thank God for the, the fiery trials you go through. He said, to you, you'll say at the end of them, that's worth more than gold to me. In the fire, in the, tri- in the, in the, in the trial, it's in the pressure where you find out who you are. It's in the pressure. You find out who you are. Will you pop off? Will you get mad? Will you get frustrated? Will you blow up? Will you lose your cool? Will you get depressed? Will you get down? And when you do, God's just showing you you have a little weakness here. We're going to work on that little weakness. And when you're in the test and the trial, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm just gone. This is over. This is going to sack me and kill me, and I'm done with this right here. And he's like, no, I'm just, I'm just working on you to make you what you ought to be. And he's standing there just so gentle and shows you need a little sanding right here, maybe a little chipping right there. But, Lord, that's going to hurt, but it's for your good. All things work together for your good. To examine your heart and walk with Christ and walk in a life, in a, in a relationship, in a communion with him. And, and the scripture that we open with is typically used in a communion. But that's the relationship with you and your Savior should be is a constant communion and fellowship with him. And we, we say this a lot of times, that if it hadn't been for the Lord Jesus Christ giving his life for you, you could have never had communion. You could have never, ever, 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 ever come boldly before the throne of grace because he was too great. He was too, you were covered in sin, all these different things. But the amazing thing about our God is he's never caught off guard. He's a very good planner. And again, the simplicity of a prophet. He would make this statement a lot. He said, he knows every gnat there's ever been. How many times it'll blink its eye and how much tallow it'll make in its lifetime. Every single gnat. Now, every one of us would agree they are useless. Yeah. They're useless. Useless as useless could be. But a prophet would say he knows every one, how many times they'll bat their eye and how much tallow they'll make. You, you think about this. Let's go this way. Every fly that would ever been made and how many times they bite somebody we got a lot of flies coming around our house lately. They've been trying to bite us. No matter where you go in the house, you're like, why are you biting me? I ain't been bit by a fly in forever. But he knew it before that fly ever took its first breath, before it ever flew. He knew that fly. He knows the end from the beginning. So keep going back, keep going back, keep going back. Can you go back to about our Redeemer and our Savior? The Bible says, before the foundations of the world, that lamb was slain for you. That lamb was slain for you before the foundation of the world. So when Adam and Eve made that mistake, God wasn't stepping back going, what do we do now? What do we do now? No, he said, okay, everything's on plan. Everything's still going. It's not what I wanted for them, but he let them make the choice. Imagine, let's again keep this real, real localized. If you're with somebody, let's say, let's say Sister Vanessa's going out to lunch with Brother David. And she's like, you know, I tell you what, I don't really care where we're going today. You pick where we're eating at. And he picks someplace she don't like. She's like, I done told him. Then told him, pick whatever you want. Anybody ever done that? You tell somebody else, you know what, I don't really care. You pick. And they pick. You're like, that is not what I wanted. That is not what I wanted. But you didn't come up with no better solution. But it's not, you see what I'm saying? He's a God who gives a free moral agency, give you the ability to choose. What will you do? Again, it's so profound. It is so absolutely profound that Joshua would step out before the children of Israel and make this same simple statement. You choose this day whom you'll serve. 
Oh, no, that's too simple. It's too simple. No, as a Christian, it's a choice you make every single day. Will I serve him today? Will I die out to myself today? Will I let God search me and cleanse me today so I can be better tomorrow? I've had times that I've been so just beat up by things. I'm like, God, can I just take today off? Can I just take today off and, and let me do nothing and just lay around and be as useless as you'd allow me to be and then let me be, get put back in the fight again tomorrow? Anybody else ever felt that way? Okay, I'm glad it ain't just me. But, but God's merciful. God's merciful. It's like, you know what? Just, just come aside and rest in a while and we'll put you back in the fire tomorrow. Because again, he's very mindful. He knows our weakness. He knows the things we struggle with. He knows the things that you got stuck in you that you don't know it's there. I've shared with you different complexes and different things I didn't know was in me. Thank you, Joseph. For years and years and years. Brother William was telling me something. He was just here a couple weeks ago. Brother William Smith said that, that he had heard something about something. I don't remember what it was exactly. 20 years before. And then 20 years later, he comes up and he walks with that thing. And he's like, why do I think this way? Why why am I assuming that? Why am I, why? And then he realized, rewind, 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 rewind. 20 years before that, something was said and he heard it and believed it and it kind of got stuck. <clears throat> Aren't you glad God don't destroy you for those things like that? See, I'm worthy of hell. I don't know if you are, but I was worthy. I'm still worthy of hell, but God in his mercy changed that. I appreciate that. I thank him for his mercy and his grace, the God who is rich in mercy. And that when I make mistakes and when I fall down and when things I struggle and spend my wills, that he doesn't just throw me away and start again. He stands there patiently. Come on, get back up. Get back up. Get back up. Again, he loves fatherhood. He loves fatherhood. Do you love him tonight? Are you glad to be a believer in this day? Now, To be a believer in this day is so much harder than ever before. It's so much harder than 20 years ago. Look how much the landscape of this world has changed. Just, I remember back in 1999 and, and even the 80s, they had a song about, you know, like party like it's 1999. And, and then when 1999, December 31st of 1999 happened, everybody's losing their mind. Y2K, all those different things. And, oh, how bad is this? How bad is this? And then it kind of just went out like a lamb, like it was nothing. And, and then the next thing you know, if you look back to 2000, you thought, my goodness, that was nothing compared to what it is today. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. And you imagine, jump back from 1999 to 1980, how much it changed from then to then. And just keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. But none of these things, like I said, caught God off guard. Not one thing has God gone, man, what do we do? I don't know how to get through this. What do we do now? No, he always intended for you to be born on the day you were born. Always intended. You realize how much easier your life would have been, would have been if you'd have been born somewhere around 300 A.D., 300, yeah, A.D., during the ox age, where they would have just come out and just killed you. Maybe torture you for a few days, and then you're just dead. You know how much easier your life would have been? You would have been so much easier. You would have got off so much easier than to have to get up tomorrow and fight every demon in hell. Get up the next day and fight every demon in hell. And get up the next day and fight every single demon in hell. Your life would have been so much easier to just die and be over with. That's why we can look back now with a revelation from having been in a fight this long to see why Paul would say, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. So if I'm here, I've got a purpose. God has a purpose in everything he does. 
I appreciate his mercy. Let me be born this day. So again, we'll see how far we get tonight, but we were touching on that Sunday. How do you know that this is the last days? How do you know that, you know, I, I talk to people all the different time that they've never heard of the message of William Brown. They don't understand what day they're living in, but they can look at the Bible and say, this is the last days. This is the end of days. This is all these things. And, and if it wasn't again for the Bible telling you what would happen, because I think it's Zachariah that said without a vision, the people perish. That sound familiar? I might have said the wrong prophet's name, but without a vision, the people perish. But God always gives a vision. God always speaks through prophets. God always tells you what's going to happen before it happens. This is Bible. This is all Bible. God always tells you what's going to happen before it happens. If we had time to read Matthew 24, 25, 26, what is the sign of the end? And God breaks down, it's going to look like this. It's going to look like this. It's going to look like this. And now here we are 2,000 years. like, oh my goodness, it looks exactly like he said. So now you see where you are. So if these are the truth and you can correctly identify that you are living in the end of days, or Paul would say it this way, in the dispensation of the fullness of times. Now what that means of dispensation, fullness of times, it means the dead will be raised. It will mean the end of all things. It means the wrapping up of all the dispensations. It means the mystery of the finishing the mystery of the finishing. Now, again, you not being a coincidentally born on your such and such birthday, not just being a coincidence that you've been allowed to hear the message, not just being a coincidence this back and forth, being falling in love with the Lord Jesus. Imagine to be living today in this world in love with the Lord Jesus, but never having heard what he's done in your hour. How would you twist? How would you wonder? How would you? I don't. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. See, God is rich in mercy. God is so rich in mercy. What God has done in our day, according to his scripture, which he always tells you before something happens, he sent a prophet in our day that would fulfill Malachi chapter 4, that would be that third coming, fourth coming, I'll get it right, fourth coming of the use of that Elijah spirit. Remember, I I quoted that to you on Sunday. They asked Jesus, I thought that Elias would come first. I thought we heard that Elias, the Bible would say, he was about Malachi chapter 3, that Elias would come first, and they told Jesus that, and he says it like this. He said, Elias has come, and he will yet come. And so they're like, we don't ever understand what he's saying. He has come, but he's going to come. We don't, don't, but... The fourth use of that spirit, God was so impressed with a man. And you, and you break that down to the simplicity of Elijah. What did God like so much about Elijah? Was it because he liked the nature? Was it because he liked wearing a certain kind of clothes? No, no. The thing God liked so much about Elijah was he would tell Elijah to say something, and you'll never believe this. Elijah will say it word for word. I shocked you. It's not that simple. You know how many ministers have stood in pulpits before and God's put something on their heart and they were a coward to say it. A coward to say it. Absolute coward. You, you don't understand until you've stood here what it means to have to say something that might dis, you might disagree with. You, you don't understand. that if, if, if I'm reading out of the word of God, let's just, if you'll just give me this, this leisure for a minute and say that I'm saying something right. Don't throw eggs yet. Say that I'm actually saying something right. And there's some kind of unclean, foul spirit on you trying to make you disbelieve the word of God. Do you think that demon will be okay with me standing here saying it's opposite of what he's telling you? 
Do you think that demon is going to be like, no big deal? No, no, it's a warfare. And you feel those things come back at you. And sometimes it's like it's a wave and it's just smacking into you. You're just, whoa, whoa. And you don't, and nobody run up here and smacked you. Nobody run up here and tackled you. But you feel that thing coming off of it. So to be able to stand there and say word for word what he said and then just step back and trust it, that's, that's a great feat. That's an absolutely great feat. For when God speaks something and you say, tell that person, and you tell them word for word, and then what the devil will come through, I can think of numerous cases where someone else would stand up and prophesy something different. Stand up and prophesy something different. But I thought you said that. This is what he told me. This is, this is all he told me. But we've got people raising up prophesying something different about Sister Stadscliff's daughter being a living and surviving. And it was Sister Stadscliff. No, that was her baby. That was her daughter. I'm confused. But he had prophesied that she'd pass away just because they asked her to pray. And he said, Sister, he said, God said, make your life ready. And then these other people were standing up and prophesying, she'll live and not die. She'll live and not die. And so many different people. And they say, well, maybe Brother Brown missed it. And he's like, this is just what he showed me. That's all I can tell you is what he showed me. And then she did pass away. And you know, other people were well-meaning. But again, to be able to stand up and simply say what he said, what God said, it, it, it's, it's a profound thing. I, I made that statement um, I think Saturday night or Sunday morning with one of the younger sisters, uh, I say younger, younger than me, or at least smaller than me, stood up and sung two specials. Two different sisters sung, sung a special. And, and, and most of it, the one I'm talking about, they were just real small sisters, a lot smaller than me. For a, a young, I'm just going to say a sister, to stand up and sing a testimony to God, sing praises and glory to God, will whoop the devil all day long. And you think, how would God, how could something like do that when you've got full-grown, big, strong men over there? Most of the time, they're cowards. And something is simply saying, I love him. Simple as can be. Demons start jumping through the windows, running for cover. I love him. I, I told Bethany, I think Sunday after the meetings, I said it would have been amazing if you could have, the Lord just opened your eyes and let you see all the welts and bruises over the demons that were in the room. Just welts and bruises. And we think, oh man, I barely survived that service. I barely got through this day. And, and just you standing there beats that thing all to pieces. And he's telling you, I'm okay. I'm okay. You, as the old joke, nothing but a scratch, just a scratch. <laughs> no, there's so much power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much power and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much power in the revealed word and truth of our day. There's so much power. If it wasn't, Satan wouldn't attack it so hard. All of hell is against the revelation of this message. All of hell is against it. That's not true. That's not true. This was a lie. Different things. Why do you care? I don't want to answer that question. Just walk away. Why do you care? I don't want to. I don't want to. Because all of hell is against it. But all heaven's for it. And that's not just a cliche. That's not just a fun thing to say. If God be for us, who could be against us? It matters what you look at. You realize that? It matters what you're looking at is how you'll do in your walk with the Lord. If you're looking at the world, if you're looking at the waves like Peter did, if you're standing like Jonah and you're touching the inside of the belly of the whale, you know, looking at the plankton, looking at that fishy smell, all those things. And if you're looking at that, instead of looking at him, you won't get very far. 
Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Romans chapter 9, if you'll turn there with me. I've been trying to get the last few services over into the area of adoption. Trying to take some time there and, and, and make some things as plain as possibly could be. And, and I, I see we're already, our time is, does what it does. And, but if you'll jump to Romans chapter 9 verse 1 with me. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. How many of the Sanhedrin council would flat out disagree with that statement of Paul's? Why would the man of God have to say, I say the truth and I'm not lying? And again, I've asked you many times, why did the Bible have to say God cannot lie? Who in their right mind would ever think that God could lie? Who would ever think that? Your enemy is telling you all day long, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. God didn't mean that. He didn't mean it for you at the very best. He said that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Who are Israelites, they are Israelites, that means their seed chased all the way back to Abraham. Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. I I like to preach the rest tonight on just that one verse. The promises, the service of God, the giving of the law, the glory, the covenants. Now, Paul has taught us, Paul was the one that God chose to, to be able to stand there with a, probably almost a borderline of photographic memory of the Old Testament. And to be able to tell you, he said this, Isaiah said this, uh, just backwards and forwards, probably had that good of a memory that can, because most of those do have it committed to memory. But be able to stand there and say, look, because you got people today that say, we don't have to go by the law, that's all old, that's Old Testament, that's all dead, that's all those things. God would never have given it if it had been dead. God doesn't do anything without a purpose. So when you look back at the reason God would give those laws, statutes, and commandments, it wasn't to be a restriction and a binding. It was not meant to be a restriction and a binding. You were already restricted. You were already bound. The law come along, he, he would say, was meant to be a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. See, when you have children and you're starting out as children, how many, how many have you, everybody noticed Emma has been giving Ella these books on trigonometry and calculus and, and biology and all these scientific equations and Ella's just going, man, that's the best one yet. Mama, I love it so good and... No, you have to teach them these things. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Why? Just listen to me. I'll tell you later. Don't do that. Imagine mom won't let me do nothing. It's a schoolmaster. It's a tutor. It's a trainer. Because the Bible says, train up a child the way they shall go. Train up a child the way they shall go. When they're old, they will not depart. The prophet would tell you that, that you as a, as a daddy and a mama are to be their Holy Ghost until they meet him and receive him. Oh, no, 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 you know, no, 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 that's the truth. I, you know, people, oh, I just want to be their friend. I just want to be their buddy. You're never meant to be their buddy. And the world has so twisted that in such a way where if I tell them something wrong, I'm not their buddy. If I tell them don't do that, I'm not their friend. Who says? 
There's nothing. You, you don't have very much of a friendship with someone if you can't disagree with someone. That ain't very much of a friend. That's called a flowery day or sunny day friend or they're only there when the old things are best and, and you know, everything is feast and, and you take this and this. But the first time you agree with them, they're like, mm-mm, not friends no more. The Bible says that you can rebuke a wise man. That doesn't mean disagree with a wise man. Oh, brother, you shouldn't have said that or did that. No, that means rebuke. Uh, Paul walked right up to Peter and said, you're wrong. You're wrong. You've been carried away with such a dissimulation. You're over here, you're eating pork and all these things with the Gentiles. And as soon as the Jews walked up, they are the circumcised. You want to wipe your face and walk away like you did nothing? He said, you're wrong. He said, to rebuke a wise man who'll love you. I made a mistake. Forgive me. You see the spirit of Christ in that. What's the spirit of the devil? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are correcting me? I know so-and-so. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. But the greatest of all is become the least of all. You think you could have rebuked the Lord Jesus? What do you think he'd have done to you? So, for example, let's just kind of look at the crucifixion. Before they, when they had him in chains, they're sitting there lying about him. They're saying all these different things about him. And, you know, Jesus jumped right in the mix when he was chewing them out. He was cussing them out. He was, you know, you did this. Your daddy was this. Your mama did this. Mm-mm. Bible said he opened not his mouth, that he stood there with no guile finding him. You know without a doubt that if he'd opened his mouth, they'd have been erased from existence. Erased, gone, no more. What's a Sanhedrin? We don't know. What's a Pharisee? We don't know. And he stood there. The greatest become the least. He said, who are Israelites to whom pertaining the adoption and the glory and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh, and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came. I said that Sunday, people, they'll tell you, you're getting in the flesh, you're getting so excited, you're just being all these different things. Well, I said, it was my flesh that needed to be saved. That had to be redeemed too. We were all born the wrong way, and the flesh had to be redeemed too. And forgive me, the, the flesh has just a little bit of emotion to it. If I took a pen and stuck you, you would say, Brother Sam, don't do that anymore. If I took a little kerosene and squirt on you and throw a match, you'd be like, Brother, don't do that no more. You'd get a little bit beside yourself because something happened in your flesh. Whose are the fathers, and of whom is concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is overall. Who is over all, by him all things consist. He created everything. God bless forever. Amen. Not as though, verse 6, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Now we're separating believers from unbelievers right there in that one scripture. You're se- but, but that's what they stood there and told him. But we have Abraham to our father. We can chase back my daddy's daddy's daddy, 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 all the way through Jacob, through Isaac, through Abraham. And he said, but when Abraham met me, Abraham loved me. And they're like, Abraham met you? He said, I am before. Not all Israel is our, are of Israel, a believer. That's why you have to be a faith seed of Abraham. It doesn't matter that you're not Isaac's great, 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 or Jacob's great, 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 great. But you believe just like Abraham believed. 
Now, our, our brother, our brother, our brother was sharing something with me just a, a few weeks ago, a month ago, whatever it was, that, that God made this statement to Abraham. He said, walk before me perfect. Walk before me perfect. I can't remember the exact wording, but walk ye therefore perfect, walk before me. I can't remember exactly, but he told Abraham that walk before me perfect. That was completely impossible <clears throat> according to the flesh. Calvary had not yet happened yet. That blood had not yet been applied. But God, was God just being mean? Was God being just kind of just, you know, looking down on him just to sneer at him? Watch him fall. Watch him fall. No. Before the foundation of the world, that lamb was slain for our redemption. And God looked backwards this way and sees a redeemed Abraham standing there and says, you'll walk not because of your covenant, but because of the covenant I made. And I swore. That is, they which, number seven, sorry, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are of the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise. The children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, this, you, you know these are Elohim's words to Abraham that night in the tent. The, the, at the appointed time, I will come. At the appointed time, I will come. Everybody remember this is just basic Christianity one-on-one. At that appointed time, I will come. And verse 9 says, for this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. He's not talking about Isaac. When he was talking to Eve all those years before and looking at Abel and said, Thy seed shall bruise the head of the serpent. He's not talking about Abel or uh, Seth. He was looking all the way back down the line to where that perfect one would come forward, the last Adam. And he said that not only this, not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. The purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Not of works. In the the Ephesian, the book of uh, the Ephesian book, uh, the book of Ephesians, I'll get it right. In the book of Ephesians, it's talking about how that you were saved for a moment, for a day, for a week, for a month. It's eternal salvation. It's eternal salvation. Do, do you believe that? Everybody remember the scripture I'm talking about? It's eternal salvation. Okay, let's just pause for a minute and let's break down again what the word eternal means. Eternal is not talking about old, 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 old. That would be a more use of the word immortal. Angels are immortal. They're not eternal. Angels had a beginning, and a lot of them, a third of them, will have an end. Eternal means no beginning, no end. No beginning, no end. So again, it locks that back in, eternal salvation. So before you ever sinned, he had done slain that lamb in his mind for you. Before the foundation of the world, he had done been cinched down. Not through the time you made your first mistake, second mistake, tenth mistake, thousand mistake. No, before you ever done anything wrong, good or bad, he had paid that price for you. He had paid that price for you. Jump over to John chapter 2 with me. Now, 
John chapter 2 begins, and I want to touch just this opening part before I get further into it, with a wedding, a marriage held in Canaan. And in that marriage, in that wedding supper, as a, uh, let's just call it a type of him and you, in that wedding supper, there was, it was understood that all the wine had run out. Just to, again, simplest of parables. It happened, but it's also given to teach you something. Simplest of parables. In that time, the wine had run out. And Mary comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. He makes the statement, why have you come to me? Uh, my time has not yet come. What was he talking about? Was he talking about the first miracle to be performed? Do, do you think that's what he was talking about? Or do you think he was talking about his wedding, his marriage? See, you're not talking about someone that only is going to live 33 years. That only going to live 90 years, 100 years, whatever you want to equate that to be put into a border or parameter of time. You're talking about the one who only can describe himself as I am. And so when he's speaking, he's not just looking at this exact situation. You find it all through the Bible. God is covering something and addressing something there. And then you look at your experiences and you look back at what he's telling them there. And you say, wait a minute, he's actually talking to me right now. Possibly 6,000 years later. His mother saith unto his servants, verse 5, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now again, some of the best advice you'll ever get right there. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. You know how much your flesh will struggle against that? Who do you think you are? Oh, you're God, huh? Well, my flesh just knows this. I know better. And it's just the rebelliousness of our flesh. <clears throat> there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water, and they fill them up to the brim. He saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they actually did what he, what he said to do. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water, the ruler of the feast had tasted the water and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. That's interesting, huh? Of thy fellow servants, the prophets. Uh, But the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and says unto him, pay very close attention to this, every man at the beginning, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. When men have well drunk, then he puts out the worst wine, the not-so-good wine, because they're already drunk. They're already drunk. They're already inebriated. They're tasting like they could be drinking anything and still thinking they're getting something because they're, they're impaired. They're strongly impaired. Okay, you link this straight up with Day of Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Ghost falling, which Brother Ram told us that, that wine of re- is a revelation. The oil is the Holy Ghost. The stimulation from the wine is that revelation of God. And so he tells them, he says that every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou, but thou has kept the good wine until you're in my day. You're, you're in my day. The Bible way back over in Proverbs says, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Way back over there. And you're like, that's a long, long time ago. They didn't have a clue what you're tasting of. Not even a clue of what you have access to. And, and he says that every man at the beginning does this. And when men have well drunk, and that which is worse, thou hast kept the good. But, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. Thou hast kept it until now. So again, no coincidence, the day you were born. Not just to be discouraged and beat down. Oh my goodness, I go back to my test and trial. No, no, no. Just wait. It gets way better. Just wait. It gets way, way better. <clears throat> now I'm going to run through these just to give you a, uh, just a, a background to where we're at. Verse 11, the beginning of this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Okay, let me see, just to pause. The beginning of miracles manifested forth his glory. That sounds really Pentecostal to me. Forgive me on that. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He and his, I'm being facetious, if anybody don't know me. Forgive me. Um, after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen, keep this counted, oxen and sheep and doves. Three, oxen, sheep, and doves. Three different animals. They were selling these three different animals, oxen, sheep, and doves. And the changers of the money sitting. The changers of the money sitting. This is a perfect type of Nicolaitan. They're sitting there ruling and reigning. And you give me through money, I give you money. You give me money, I give you this, and this is how you serve God. You give me money, I give you this, this is how you serve God. He served God. And it kinda, he kind of lost his temper over it. The Lord Jesus did not approve. You know, in Revelation, he says, I hate them. He said, I hate that. You're going to beat my people. That's what he says about Nicolaitans. I hate it. Remember the vision Brother Brown was given about a, how did he word that? Was it a man in black or something like that? He had a three-cornered club, and he was taking that three-cornered club and kept was it whooping his wife or something like that. A three-cornered club and kept whooping his wife. And Brother Brown walked up to him and said, if you do that again, you're going to have to deal with me. And he understood that that three-cornered club was that Trinity doctrine and was trying to whoop the bride of Christ. With a Trinity doctrine, with a three God, three person, three personalities, however they want to serve it to you, three different people. He said, the changers of money sitting, and when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple. All the money changers. He drove every one of them out of the temple. And the sheep and the oxen, that's only two, and poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables or kicked the tables over. He went through and did all these things. And he said unto them that sold doves. Why is there a difference now? Why didn't he go through and kick the cages open and doves fly away? We live in an eagle age. We don't live in the ox day. We don't live in the man age. You are alive in the eagle age. And it is a fact as powerful, as fierce, as mighty as an eagle is. Isaiah 40, chapter, chapter 40, verse 31 said, you'll bear it with wings of eagles. You'll be able to fly. You'll be able to soar. And eagles are very powerful that certain that a larger size can pick up a, a teenager and fly them off and kill them. Very, very fierce. Very, very powerful. Look right through you. Stare you right through you and be able to see you from miles away. And you feel like, man, they just look right through me. These all, am I describing an eagle good enough to you? You understand that eagle has to be led by a dove? A dove has no guile. A dove doesn't have to be washed by an outward source. It produces an oil from the inside out and cleanses it from the inside out. 
That dove is a type of the Holy Ghost and is constantly cleaning you in the washing of the water of his word. But he, he still sees the purpose of the doves. He said unto them that sold, sold doves, take these things hence. Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. Can you imagine stood there that day? You've been walking with Christ all this time, and, and he walks through there, and he, said he got a little unhappy. Got a little, bit, got a little bit put out with what they were doing. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. This is what was prophesied about the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul, when he was Saul, would tell you that above all others, my zeal and further for the traditions of Father far exceeded anyone else's in a zeal, but not according to knowledge. In a zeal, not according to the Holy Ghost of God. In a zeal, in, a, in an exuberance, in a, such an excitement and a fervor, and it must do this, but it was trying to do God a service without it being his will. Presuming, stepping out on your own, not tying it back with a word. He said, it was, remember that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, what sign showest thou unto us, seest that thou doest these things? <laughs> I think this is the strangest of questions. He just walked through and kicked the oxen out and kicked all the lambs out and let the, you know, told the still about the doves and kicked all the tables over. And they walk up, so what are you trying to tell us? What are you getting at? What are you driving at? What, uh, uh, could you be less vague? <laughs> He's not being vague. They said, what signs showest thou unto us, seest that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Now, this has more than just one meaning right here. I'll get to Hosea 6 in just a minute. This has more than one meaning. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. <clears throat> then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. He was not just talking about his body. He was talking about, wave your hands, this body. Not just the, the sacrifice, not just the flesh, but the bride body of Christ. Three days. Turn over to Hosea chapter 6 with me. That's right before Joel, I think. Hosea chapter 6. <clears throat> Hosea chapter 6. We're almost down to a point where we can stop for tonight. I hope this hasn't bored you at all. Hosea chapter 6 verse 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord. Come and let us return unto the Lord. You know what? Back up to chapter 5, verse 15. I'll get you some context here. He just walked through everything that the children of Israel had done. They would not follow him. They would not follow him. They would turn their heart from him. They would go a whoring. They'd commit adultery. They'd commit idolatry. All these things keeping their heart from him over and over and over and over and over. And I'm going to wear you out on me saying over that they got this, that he would, they would fall into a trouble, fall into some big thing. He'd slip in and, you know, he'd just slip right in and, and change everything and save them in the nick of time. And they said, you're great, you're good. Where's my idol at? Over and over and over. <clears throat> and then he tells them now, he says, I'll go and return to my place. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge or confess their offense and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early or diligently. Seek me diligently. 
The Bible says you know, that he'll be found if you'll seek him with all your heart. Seek the Lord. Hunger, thirst in the Lord. He said, I'll go and return my place till they acknowledge their offense. Seek my face in their affliction. They'll seek me early. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is their response. Come, let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn and he'll heal us. That's a good father right there. It was for my good. It was for my good. He hath torn and he will heal us. And that's nothing but the truth. He has smitten and he'll bind us up. After two days... After 2,000 years, at the end of 2,000 years, into the third day, after 2,000 years, into the third day, will he revive us. In the third day, he'll raise us up and we shall live in his sight. He just told you in the last chapter, verse 5, chapter 5, he said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to go away into my place and I'll just... You know, whenever you're ready to acknowledge me, when you're ever ready to give your heart to me, whenever you're ready to get rid of your junk and your mind and your life and fall down and worship me and live for me, then I'll come. And their response was, after 2,000 years, he has smitten us, but he binds us up. He's wounded us, but he's healed us. Let us go unto the Lord. Then shall we know, verse 3, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. As the latter and former rain unto the earth. Do you appreciate the Lord? Amen. Amen. Jump back into 1 Samuel with me. 1 Samuel. Now, this will be 1 Samuel chapter 13, and we'll pick up right there at verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait. Now, Samuel had done prophesied, you go there, you do this. And you wait, and don't do that until I come do this. Just being obedient unto the Lord. So, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed... Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. They're not playing hide and go seek. They're running for their life. This is a perfect type of that first, second, and third church age. They were distressed. The people were distressed in that ox age. Verse 7, and some... Some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, the king, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Verse 8, and he tarried seven days according to the set time. In the dispensation of the fullness of time, John said, I was carried forward into the Lord's day. At the end of the seventh church age, I was carried forward. And he tarried seven days, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon, as soon as he made it, an end of the offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him or greet him or bless him. Samuel said, what hast thou done? Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me, 
from me, you read the same thing, from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. He said, all hell's about to turn loose. I'm going to jump out there, presuming, trying to do God a service without being his will, and I'm going to go do this thing myself. He said that thou camest not within the days appointed. God is still right on time. You know, they made that complaint about him when he showed up on the fourth day at Lazarus' funeral. But he's dead. It's over. There's no hope to be had. And he tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die. And so Samuel, Saul is standing here with no faith in his heart. And Samuel's done told him, you're wanting a king like them, and he's going to do this, and he's going to do this, and he's going to do this. And they said, we know, but we still want the king. But he won't follow God. He won't be obedient. He won't follow the way of the Lord. He won't let his steps be ordered by the Holy Ghost. I know, but we want him. And now they get right in the midst of a fire, the end of all these things, having tarried seven days, and they're waiting for Samuel to come. It seemed like he's not going to come, not going to come, not going to come. He steps out there to do it himself. Instantly he comes. That's very inconvenient on Saul's behalf. You couldn't have waited five minutes. Five minutes. You couldn't have waited 30 seconds. It said as soon as he made an end of it, here comes Samuel. As soon as it. In our day, we've had a prophet given, the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4. And what God did in that one, what God has done, he was also not just a prophet, but he's also a restorer. He was meant to be a restorer of everything that was torn down before that God would do in that ministry. That he began the church ages with Paul the prophet, and he wrapped up the church ages with Elijah the prophet. And in that, he was able to stand there and look back and say, that was not according to Scripture. That was not according to Scripture. This was the very spirit on the man that made him to say that and be able to get all those people to fall in line with his Nicolaitan ideas. Yet in that 2,000 years before that, you've had every person and their brother rise up. Well, it's this. Well, it's this. And they're grasping at and stretching for and wondering about. But God sent a prophet. God sent a prophet that with that eyes of the eagle to say, I see he did this, I see he did this, I see he did this. And then you know what you can do? You can go right back to the scripture and say, okay, I saw it there. He was right there. And it was there. Oh, I'm still going through the book. And it's there. And it's right in Ezekiel 30 on the seventh day of the month. You just keep walking right back through the Bible. Same God, same God, same God, same God. But you've still got to come God's provided way. Saul got ahead of himself. We can stand on our feet tonight. Saul got ahead of himself and trying to jump ahead of the will of God, jump ahead of the purpose of God, trying to get out there on his own flesh. And the entire time God is waiting, just hold on a little bit more. Just hold on a little bit more. Just hold on a little bit more. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Saul failed that test. Saul fell flat on his face. All he had to do was wait just a few more minutes. And Saul's thinking, I'm going to lose the people. They're not following me. The people are not following me. They're not supposed to follow you. They're supposed to follow him. We, we tell you this all the time. I'm not the boss of this church. This is not Sam Parker's church. People ask me all the time, where's your church at? What's this? I don't have a church. This is his church. My name's not on the door. His name's on the door. He's the word that's become flesh, not me. Let him lead you. Follow him tonight. I don't know if we have that song in there where he leads me, I'll follow 
I don't know what key it is, so I'll just start it. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he
of His glory and grace. Oh, sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let your word be born in the manger of my heart let it burn in me let it shine dwell inside this house of clay and mold me every day let your word be born in the manger of my heart. Oh, let your word be born in the manger of my heart. Let it burn in me. Let it shine. Dwell inside this house of clay and mold me every day. Let your word be born in the manger of my heart. He walks among us all that he does. All of His mercy and all of His love. If the pen of the rider could write every day, oh, even this world could never contain how I have been blessed. God's been so good to me. Oh, precious are His thoughts of you and me. No way I could count them. There is not enough time. And so I'll just thank Him for being so kind. My God has been good. He's been so good. I have been blessed. Oh, He sent His Son for us to die on a cross. 
oh, bearing our sins and redeeming the lost. He sent back His Spirit to those who believe a fountain of life for others to see. Oh, I have been blessed. Oh, yes, I have been blessed. God's so good to me. Oh, precious are His thoughts of you and me. No way I could count them. There is not enough time, and so I'll just thank Him for being so kind. God has been good, He's been so good, I have been blessed. Oh, the word of the hour is my daily bread. It's always unfolding. I'm continually fed. My light and salvation, in whom shall I fear? The strength of my life, when my enemies draw near. Oh, I have been blessed. Oh, yes, I have been blessed. God's so good to me. Oh, precious are His thoughts of you and of me. No way I could count them. There's not enough time. Oh, so I'll just thank Him for being so kind. My God has been good. He's been so good. I have been blessed. He's the rock that I stand on on the troublesome day. In His presence He hides me and He shows me the way. The Word in its fullness, in you and in me. He's not just a song, He's a reality. Oh, we have been blessed. All together now. Oh, I have been blessed. God's so good to me. Oh, precious are His thoughts of you and of me. No way I could count them. There's not enough time. And so I'll just thank Him for being so kind. God has been good. 
He's been so good. Uh, let's sing this one more time. Oh, yes, I have been blessed. God's so good to me. Oh, precious are His thoughts of you and of me. No way I could count them. There's not enough time. And so I'll just thank Him for being so very kind. My God has been good. He's been so good. I have been blessed. Amen. Let's bow our heads to him just now. Lord, we've sang, we've confessed, we've professed, Lord. We've, we, we've made claims tonight on a living God. We've testified how good you are, how kind you are, how gentle and gracious and merciful and long-suffering and rich in mercy, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, for being all these things that still sticks closer than a brother that, as our prophet would say, is closer than your very arm is to you right now, Lord. Lord, you're no longer just Emmanuel, God with us, but you are God in us. Oh, we appreciate you, all your many blessings and mercies you pour out upon us. We appreciate you, Lord, for the, the opportunity to be ever being born in this hour, Lord. Many times we keep our eyes on the fire and the flames and the test and forget who's standing with us. Lord, let us never forget again. Lord, wear off any spiritual amnesia that's been hindering us, Lord. And let us believe you, trust you, and see you in every part of our lives, Lord. For you are very real. You are God. You don't change. You don't get scared. You don't back up. There ain't no quitting in you. He that begun the work is faithful to finish what he started. Lord, there's many promises that you've made to this assembly here just tonight, Lord God, and in our walks with you. And sometimes we don't see the fruit of that, but Lord, we still believe you. We trust you. We, we declare that your word is true, no matter what our eyes see. And Lord, with all of our hearts, with all this within us, Lord, we bind together in faith. And we say that your word is right and every other man's word's a lie. We pray you would help our brothers and sisters tonight. That as we each one go our separate ways and back out into our daily tests and trials, that, that we would not lose or, or miss this same anointing of presence that we're in right now. But Lord, that you'd go with each one of us. And that no matter what's going on or what's happening, that we'd be able to know that you're still here. Lord, we love you so much you're the only way we survive if you were to pull back for even a split second we'd be done Lord Lord how great is your loving kindness how great is your mercies Lord your joy and your love we give all of ourselves to you here tonight Lord Lord you know what's on our heart what we're praying for this requests that are burning in each one of us right now Lord, we're not bringing these requests. We're not submitting them to a mayor or a, a judge or a lawyer or a, a king or any of those things of this world. They can't help us. They wouldn't have the same desire. They might, would tend more toward the flesh, Lord. But, but you put a desire in our hearts, Lord, for what we're praying for. 
these things that we're asking you for, Lord. We've checked them with your word. We've checked them with your promise. We've checked them with our objectives and our motives, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would move in a very special and mighty way right now. Lord, many stand here tonight with unspoken requests upon our heart. Lord, just as you stood there and sat there in the, the, the door of the tent in the cool of the evening talking to Abraham, Sarah was thinking something behind you. Lord, these brothers and sisters have not voiced their prayer request, what they've been talking to you about, but you know. Lord, I pray as your sign of the Messiah is right here in this room, that, Lord, you would minister to that need right now, that they would know beyond the shadow of a doubt from any unbelief, anything that the devil would throw at them with a heart full of faith, that you know that request, that you'll meet that request, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters in such a special way. Be with them, Lord God. Be with us as we go our separate ways. Bless our families. Heal our bodies. Heal our minds, Lord. Renew and restore our minds. Let us only have your mind in us, Lord. Let only your thoughts, only your ways be in us, Lord. Not my will, but thine be done. We surrender all that we are for your glory and for your honor. In the mighty, holy, and precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I have been blessed, God so good to me, precious are His thoughts of you and of me, no way I could count them, there's not enough time, so I'll just thank Him for being God has been good. Amen. He's been so Amen. good. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. We're singing to him again tonight. You thankful? Oh, yes, I have been blessed. God's so good to me. Precious are his thoughts of you and of me. No way I could count them. There's not enough time. And so I'll just thank Him for being so very kind. My God has been good. He's been so good. God bless you. You're dismissed tonight. Sing it to Him again as we go. Oh, yes, I have been blessed. God's so good to me. And precious are His thoughts of you and me. No way I could count them. There's not enough time. And so I'll just thank Him for being my God has been good. He's been so good. I have been blessed. I'll sing it to him again tonight. Oh, yes, I have been blessed. God's so good to 
and precious are his thoughts of you and me. No way I could count them. There's just not enough time. And so I'll just thank him for being so very kind. God has been good. He's been so So oh. 